Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the grow your own food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Don Titmus of Four Directions Permaculture to talk about his experience with permaculture design. Don grew up in London and at the age of 16 spent four years being trained in horticulture through an apprenticeship and college course. From there he continued landscaping in his hometown until he moved to Arizona in 1981 where he worked in landscaping and then started his own business in gardening maintenance. In 2003 he attended a permaculture design course which was life-changing for Don. He knew right away that this was the path he'd been waiting for and later attended two permaculture teacher training courses. He co-founded the Phoenix Permaculture Guild, started a permaculture design company, redesigned his home site into a permaculture destination, and helped develop a thriving permaculture community in Phoenix, Arizona. He was presented in five cities, worked in several states, attended classes in five states, and pretty much lives and breathes permaculture. Welcome to the show today, Don. Yeah, thank you, Greg. Yeah, this is a great opportunity. Thank yeah, you. Absolutely. And I'm going to have to be totally upfront with everybody and tell them, Don and I, how long have we known each other? Uh, quite a while, actually. Yes, yeah, since, since 2003. Three, I think. To, since 2003, absolutely. Yeah. And I mentioned that you co founded the Phoenix Permaculture Guild. That was actually you and me that did that. That's right. Yeah. So I just wanted to be upfront with everybody. Don and I go back quite a few years and we've done a lot of cool things over the years so we're going to talk about that but before we get there i want to i want to ask you the question don so i shared a bit about you can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now including how you jumped the pond in 1981 from london to phoenix arizona yeah that's a story in itself um yeah so the first time i visited Arizona mm-hmm. was in 1980 and I traveled with four other friends and we came to Arizona and we landed in Sky Harbor and I breathed in that hot dry air and went wow you know this is like weird <laughs> and, yes uh, it is 
So I did the whole tourist thing, traveled all over the place, met these different people here and there, and one of the people that I met... Hold Dusty, on, hold on, was a girl. Was a girl. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, yeah, long story short, uh, I, I met and uh, fell, you know, in love with a cute blonde. Uh-huh. And uh, in in eighty one, I came back again with my brother, and and then I paid for her to come over to me oh, in nice. July of eighty one when uh -huh. Charles and Diana were getting married. Oh wow! And then we, I ended up back in Arizona to live for good uh, at that time mm -hmm. in September of nineteen eighty one. Wow! Yeah, what a, it's quite a story. Yeah, and, no kidding. Uh, yeah, amazing. So now get me from there to permaculture in 2003. Yeah. So, you know, like like you kind of said, I continued doing the landscaping until uh, the company that I worked for, the owner started to become retired. Uh-huh. So he went part-time. So as he went part-time, I went part-time and started up my own garden maintenance business oh, called... Nice. Union Jack Gardening Service. Ah, cool. So as as his landscaping work got slower and slower, it enabled me to build my uh, landscape maintenance business, which was a real sweet deal for me because you know I just did it by referrals. I uh -huh. never have never had to advertise. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And then and then fast forward. Now we're two thousand and three. Yeah, and yeah. Um, the spring of 2003, uh -huh. my girlfriend at the time, Nancy, she said to me, Don, you have to take a permaculture design course. And oh. I went, um, odd. And I said, well, I really don't have the money for that right now. Uh -huh. uh, but she got me hooked up to the book, <laughs> which I'll talk about later. All right. And that kind of got me jazzed about the whole permaculture thing, and I got the intro book and I you know had more questions than answered when I read the intro book into <laughs> permaculture welcome to permaculture right yeah really and so eventually you know I signed myself up for my permaculture design course mm -hmm. in Santa Fe New Mexico wow yeah and who were your teachers uh, the teachers so Scott Pittman oh, was the primary teacher very he good the first week yeah uh -huh. And then the second week was taught by Larry Santoyo. Mm. So quite, oh, Larry. quite a huge difference between the two oh, teachers. Oh, I mean, yeah, I know. But I, I, it was mm. like, yeah. So pretty amazing. You know, again, I, you know, I got a lot of questions answered, but I still came out with more questions. And really, for me, it took another six months from that summer to, you know, the winter time before I could really start to get my head around the concepts. Yeah. Well, you did. You, you did know it. what I mean. <laughs> yeah, you did it fast. It took me a, maybe a decade. Uh, yeah. But I did my first permaculture design course in 1991. And, yeah. you know, and I was younger and, you know, trying to wrap my head around this concept. And now it's now it's just me. It is my life. And I suspect it's yeah. that way for you, too. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It, it just seemed to fit. And so one of those pieces for me um, during the design course that uh -huh. was life-changing for me was the notion that this was the hub, that the permaculture in its 
principles and its ethics and different things that was the hub for my life all oh. the different aspects of my life my spiritual life my work life my home life everything could now sit in a wheel around that hub uh-huh and that that was that was huge for me so once i figured out that this was going to be my next phase of my career path uh-huh. uh, I signed up for my first teacher training which was uh, in June of 04 oh wow that quickly that quick wow. I, I knew right away <laughs> yeah yeah meantime you know I had like bumped into you oh yes in uh, yep. November of 03 right so just a few months after my design course, I started looking for permaculture people in the valley, and I was having no luck until through my, my part of my spiritual path, the Dancers of Universal Peace uh-huh. and John Hinton, yep. he said, well, we're going to go over to the urban farm, and I think <laughs> you'll have a great time with Greg over there. I, he, he's a really cool guy, and I know you'll like him, and so... We're going to do a dance over in his grassy lawn out back there, and it'll be it'll be fun and right. et cetera, et cetera. And yeah. yes, so that was the moment when I met you, and yep. from there we it was just like rocketed into the next few months of creating what we created together. Yeah, which we'll talk about in a little while. Yeah, which we'll talk about that in a little while. Anybody that I get on the show that is. Uh, experience in permaculture, I always ask them to define what permaculture is. So would you do that for me? What is your definition of permaculture? Oh my goodness, that is the hardest question oh, in the I world. Know. And that's why I are, ask it. Yeah. So, you know, I do love the simplicity of the art and science. And, and you know, many, many uh, artistic professions are that way. Mm-hmm. Design being one of them, it's an art and a science. And you're you're really, you're referencing what my definition, the one I use, which is the art I, and science. I am. I am. Yes. The art and I science am. of working yes. with nature. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, for me, what I've what I have discovered as I've gone along and taught many many courses, and each time I'm presenting, I'm l- learning and getting it deeper into my bones each time I teach. Uh-huh. And so part of that has been the process of figuring out what that sentence is. And I really don't, I, I struggle uh-huh. to give you that sentence. I can tell, I, actually. Yes, but I believe, I believe sincerely that it is the beneficial relationships between the elements that is the design. Okay, say and more about that. I know that, that doesn't make a lot of sense to well, people right now. Yeah, for me it does because I've been doing permaculture for 25 years. But yes, yes. So let's let's kind of tease that apart a little bit. So what, we, you said the elements of a design. Yes. So, so what is a design? Element, the design is, is the whole home site. Great. Everything. So let's talk about it in the, in the scope of B-Oasis, where you live. Yes. So in, in your... In your case, your design is the B-Oasis, your home. Yes. The, Great. The, yes, home site is named the B-Oasis, just like yours is the urban farm. The urban farm, right? exactly. Yes. So, 
for me, you know, I am, I, you know, I have a spiritual practice, which I, which I, you know, enjoy. Right. And I run a bu- businesses out of my home. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I have a six-year-old part of my home. And, you know, I have my neighbors that I connect with all the time. I know every one of my neighbors in my circle here. Perfect. And, you know, for me, that's part of permaculture. Uh-huh. You, you know, it's, it's, I always come back to the, the, the ethics of permaculture, care uh-huh. of the earth, uh-huh. care of people, and I say care of the future. Ah. For me, that reties everything in. It's about it's about population. It's about using all the resources and returning the excess back uh-huh. to help everybody else or help the planet. Mm-hmm. And but it's also a guide for me to say if I make this decision, just like the Iroquois Confederacy, if I make this decision, what's going to happen in the next seven generations? Uh of that Perfect. decision that right. I make. And that's been my guide, and that's that's how I live. Right. Perfect. Perfect. Okay, good. So let's... You and I met in 2004 then. Maybe late 2000... Well, 2003. 2003. We started working together in 2004. And you and I envisioned something. And back... <laughs> Back yeah. then, back then, um, we called it the Phoenix, the Phoenix Permaculture Guild. Yes. And uh, how did that start? Well, m- my memory is when we met November of '03, we said, "You know, we got to do something together." And, yeah. I, and I, you know, I kind of agreed, and yep. we let it let it lie where that was. And then, I think you know, maybe a few weeks later, you called me up and you <laughs> said, uh, "Hey." We've been invited to put together the permaculture garden at local to global justice teaching ASU. Oh yeah, I remember that. I said, "Wow, that's that's cool." What did that mean? <laughs> <laughs> Little did you know, huh? Right. Little did I know, for that matter. So, um, I like how you so, said. I, I like how you said a few weeks later, after you and yeah. I talked, maybe we'd work together. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, I'm saying we've been invited, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So we we put together a small team of people mm-hmm. and said, you know, we're going to do this event. And uh, while we're doing this event, you know, it's it seems the perfect time to to create a group of people that want to work together in permaculture. And let's yeah. just get that started. Nice. And so we brought in uh, Chris Carlisle. Oh yeah. And Jay Johnson. Jay Johnson. Chip Satterland. And a chip salad. Yeah. yeah, there was a bunch of us, mostly guys, but there was also some ladies there as well. But you know, we put that you know double booth up, and we brought in this and that and the other, and chickens and composting. Oh and my gosh, I remember that. The aquarium That's right. took, yep. and, and the solar oven. You know, just like oh, everything yeah. that we could to just like demonstrate some sustainable ways of living, and that was what the permaculture garden became. And this was in February of 2004. I think it was February or maybe in March. It was yeah, right February, around that yeah, time. February, yeah. March 2004. So this is Four, 12, 12 yeah. years ago at this point. Wow, time flies. Yeah. yeah. 
And, and they loved us so much that they insisted we come back because every advertisement they ever sent out, there was always the permaculture garden that was featured. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In their advertisements. So they really liked that. Perfect. So then really what that spawned, and the reason I want to tell this story is because with such humble beginnings, you and I had a conversation and it turned into what became the Phoenix Permaculture Guild. And that that's really a far-reaching organization here in Phoenix, Arizona that, that has really over the past decade and a half uh, trained a lot of permaculture teachers here in town, right? Yeah, yes. And, yes. It, and, and it started with a conversation between you and I. Yes. Yeah. So I really want to encourage people to take on epic projects and you, you said Larry Santoyo and that's, I love Larry he's incredible at what he does and he uh, he talks in his classes about taking on epic sh mm -hmm. do I want to say it mm -hmm. SH you know in your yes. life right yes. and uh, you know I, I really I, re I look back at the Phoenix Permaculture Guild which is now the Valley Permaculture Alliance and I look back at that and that was a pretty epic for us back then to step Absolutely. into that. Yeah. Yeah, the the growth was was uh phenomenal. I mean, we we you know, we barely you know, it was grassroots the whole way. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we we just worked it and invited people to come over. Everyone was like so impressed at what we were doing and yep. they they just wanted to play. They all wanted to, they wanted a piece of the action, so it was really great. Yeah. So I really encourage every, all my listeners out there to, you know, start a project, start talking about it, take it on, go out and do some epic stuff out in the world. Yeah. yeah. In, in England, they call them permablitzes. Oh, yeah, permablitzes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. so find a project, tell a bunch of friends about it, you know, uh, bring in some, uh, well, Americans like hot dogs and beer, but whatever you want to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and, and do it, work together, get it done, you know, yeah. do it. Yeah. Really, yeah. it goes back to what you said, grassroots. Well, yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing your parts and allowing us to talk about this in the middle of your podcast interview. So, right. Thank you. So, let's jump over to why do you call your home site the B Oasis? Well, I thought about that. You know, one of the things that you said in the beginning. You know, you you really got to have a name for your place. You know, and that draws people in. So. I always thought, you know, about the, when I went to uh, Ecoversity in uh -huh. Santa Fe, New Mexico yep. for my permaculture design course, yep. they had top bar hives. And I was intrigued by that notion. And, and uh. I was, you know, I was thinking, oh, maybe I can do bees or maybe not. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But meanwhile, the bees need habitat, especially in the city. Oh, yeah. So Bee Oasis for me is not about the bees that I have here. And I have lots. But it's about the oasis aspect. That mm. they're drawn in, they want to come in. You know, it's like you know, build it and they will come. Right. That's what I did. Perfect. So, what is what does uh, bee habitat look like to you? Well, I no longer have honey bee hives. That was too difficult for me to do. They objected. This is one of the one of the things that didn't work for uh -huh. me, and I'll get to that later, but the bees didn't like me turning my compost pile in their vicinity. Oh, wow. Yes, they didn't like the smells, and mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, it was like, this town ain't big enough for the both of us. Uh -huh. <laughs> 
so the bees had to move, unfortunately. But so what I have is I have a lot. I, I introduced the the strat the strategy, as it were, of the B block. Oh yes. And the Mason B block, which is used extensively on the East East Coast, but mm -hmm. it, there was not. I couldn't find nothing in this area. And so I I went ahead and purchased the B block, and then I started to make uh, them maybe recommend yeah other people do the same thing uh -huh. because it mimics nature. It's a pretty amazing. You take a block of wood four by four, and you drill some holes in it in a specific size, right? And all of a sudden, your B block starts to be inhabited by native bees, little tiny bees, nice, which are the best pollinator oh, wow. ever. And, you know, if you've got any fruit trees or you've got any squash or any mm -hmm. other kinds of plants that need pollinating, the bee block is the way to go. Got it. No stingers, no mess, no fuss. You build the block, you put it up, and you forget about it. Uh-huh. I and, love it. And then they just come in. They just arrive. And they they find it. Oh, Absolutely. Nice. Yeah. Nice. It's amazing. Nice. So you've built around the BOASIS, you've built a permaculture business. Tell us about that. What, what is it and why did you start a permaculture business? I wanted to help other people. So my, my permaculture business was really, about, it's really built around education. Uh -huh. I've, I've found over the years as a horticulturist that no matter what happens when I'm working with people, there's the opportunity to educate right to share knowledge to say it, it may, my favorite quote right now is it depends <laughs> hold, so on. In hold on i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna stop you for a moment hold on here yeah okay. you said right now right now yeah so yeah. but how long has that right now been in place well i've been working on redeveloping the pump the voasis since I, 04 yeah i'm talking about the it depends part because that's it a depends oh it depends i've i've <laughs> i guess that i've had that for like two years now oh wow really yeah it's only been that long but i but it's always been in the back of my mind and i've always yeah. said i gotta make a t-shirt with that on it and I, oh and you I did kept, i kept saying it, i kept saying it, i kept yeah, saying it and finally did. finally i went ahead and and made the t-shirt with it depends on it so and I'm, I wear it fairly often because it, that initiates a conversation. conversation. Yeah, and I, I want to know why in permaculture design it depends is such an important concept. When people and it, and it comes up when people ask you a question like, "Would this yeah. be a great place for a fruit tree?" Or yeah, right. So why yeah. is it depends such an important concept to get around permaculture? Because in permaculture design. It, it's it's different from other design modalities like landscape design or whatever is that we incorporate things outside of the home site. So in permaculture terminology, that's called sector analysis. So when I say it depends, mm -hmm. it depends on the circumstances that influence a particular home site or whatever it might be. And so it initiates the question and answer process right. between me and whoever I'm having a conversation with. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, you, you said, okay, where can I put this fruit tree? Well, right. it depends. 
What's your microclimate like? What's, where, how much frost do you have? What's your rainwater mm-hmm. like? Where, where's the sun in relationship to where you want to put the tree? You know, what kind of soil do you have? So that <laughs> allows me to, to tune the client to thinking about that process. Uh-huh. And that's the key creating beneficial relationships mm. that's the key mm-hmm. term words that i found it depends to create that conversation to get them thinking and let them do the design work not me right fantastic well like going back to my permaculture design course in in uh, august of 03 mm-hmm. uh, you know, i decided that this was going to be my my next career path I've always been interested in education. I I have taught other classes and other modalities, you know, massage and this and that and the other. I've taught those different things, and teaching has always interested me. I love sharing what I know. Uh And I thought, okay, this is a perfect opportunity for me to learn about permaculture and then share what I know, and I need an entity. And so my my entity is Four Directions Permaculture. Four Directions is part of my spiritual background Uh and built around the wheel. And, you know, so that seemed to me like a perfect next step. Hmm. Perfect. So a permaculture design business to teach people permaculture. Yes. Imagine that. To share. To share, yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And over the years, you've taught quite a few people in permaculture design courses, yes? Hundreds, yeah, yeah. hundreds, yeah. Um, it, you know, it's, it's totally worked out from, from day one. It, everything kind of fit into place, even though, you know, bullish as I am from time to time, you know me. I like to, I like to push things along a little bit. If they're not going to my speed, I, you know, I'll just nudge them a little bit more and make opportunities happen. Yeah. And you know, create the situation for for that to come to fruition. Yeah. Perfect. So, in your permaculture design business, or permaculture business is what I have down mm-hmm. here, you do permaculture designs for people. Uh, you do education. Uh, is there anything else? Oh, I do install as well. So, oh, you know, very part good. of I love, I love, I love, I love rainwater harvesting. Oh, you know, yes. I'm one of those people that get go out in the rain with a shovel in my hand and you know I'm just a flashlight and I'm looking around everywhere and I'm watching where the water flows uh-huh. and what's happening here and there and what I need to tweak as you know as time goes along because you know the gardens are forever in evolution oh that is the case yes yes yeah. yes and so you know that part of it so I you know over the years I've put in cisterns and done swaling and I've done various other things around the whole rainwater harvesting notion which in a low low rainfall area Uh i don't want to call it desert because it's really not i've lived here long enough to know that i don't really live in a true what i would call desert Uh not the lawrence of arabia sand dunes right Or, or, or even though that you know way down in the southwest corner of Arizona, there are sand dunes. Yep. But you know, the, the majority of the state is is you know, f- fantastic tree. I mean, we have seven of the nine biomes in Arizona. It, right. I mean, that's 
that is I'm flabbergasted by that notion. It's yeah. just amazing. There's a lot here, that's for sure. Yeah, so much. So in the notion of permaculture, what part of the design do you love the most? I love to connect with a client, find out what they want, uh-huh. have them write down their mission and vision, send me their address. I you Google Earth it. I look uh-huh. at it. I grab my bucket of flags and upside down paint or string or whatever else and I'll go off to someone's home site uh-huh. and I'll have that conversation with them again are you do you really want this or are you not and it's like okay let's see what where it can fit and and how we can do that yeah and create a design timeline so you know I'll walk out the whole area I'll do my sector and site analysis on the spot you know I'll work it out I'll find out what they want uh, and I'll start flagging it out oh very good so you know I write on a flag you know an irrigation flag mm-hmm. chicken coop oh, and put yeah. a flag in the ground oh, I'll yeah. put big tree over here little tree over here patio over here mm-hmm. you know rainwater harvesting cistern over here swales over there whatever it might be I'll map it out on site and in 90 minutes, I'll walk away, and they've got a design. That's the creation part. So you, you love the creation part of the design the most. Yeah. Nice. I do. Yeah, I can tell I by do. the way you're sharing about it. Yeah. How cool is that? Now, I've done site drawings in the past, but I've found them to be a little frustrating. Uh-huh. Because I'll go through the whole process, and it takes me hours and hours and oh, hours yeah. to draw a design. And then I go over and I say... Well, well, we really not don't really. put that yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's not quite as easy as picking up the flag and moving it over five feet, you know? Right. So uh, the fickle nature of... Um, Drawings. Of, yes. Drawings, yeah. Drawings, really. yes. So what projects are you currently working on? I know you have a couple of cool projects out there you yeah, want to share about. Yeah, I've always got some cool things on the go. So right now I'm doing like... I'm doing a, an elementary school in East Mesa. Mm-hmm. So, you know, back in uh, August, September, I started doing the design process. So we did the site analysis, the sector analysis. We mm-hmm. started drawing, you know, putting, putting the list together, right. mission and vision. We did all those things as part of uh, this course, which is like, you know, like 11, 8 to 12-year-olds. To oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 25, 25 pre-teens. Oh, my gosh. And we're doing the design process, right? It, with, the, with the outcome, with the deliverable being a pollinator habitat. Uh-huh. So right now we're kind of at the point of finishing up the install of their design, uh-huh. and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, em- I emphasize their design because I, I coached them along the way, mm-hmm. and I said, oh, you know, let's nice. think about this. The only, I, I, I walked them through the process, which was, you know, difficult for them because it's a lot of concepts. Right. Again, uh, you know, you know, you struggled with the concepts, oh, and yeah. I know I struggled with them, and I'm asking them to make a decision <laughs> <laughs> because we got to get this design ready to go, and we got to right. order the pumps, and we got to get the irrigation, and we got to do this, and we got to do that. And he said, "Now, now, now, now," and you know, big breath, and uh, you know, it's coming, 
it's coming to pass now so it's really cool fantastic fantastic yeah so I'm gonna shift on you a little bit here and I want to talk about a time you failed how you overcame that failure and what you learned from it yeah so I'm gonna go back to the bees so after going to Ecoversity to learn about beekeeping from uh -huh. Les Crowder I decided that I was gonna get some bees actually the bees decided they wanted me uh-huh so someone had given me an old Langstroth box. It was completely empty, nothing oh, wow. in it. Uh -huh. And I just set it up, you know, just like, oh, this is cute. I just set it up by the back fence and on my on my property here. And then a week or so later, I heard a noise. And I went out. And I started hearing buzzing as I got closer and closer to the box. And I looked at the box and said, They moved in? There. Wow. Yeah, so I'd already built, the week before, I'd already built my top bar hive, the first one. Uh -huh. So I said, okay, so I waited until sunset, because that's the perfect time to move anything. And so I brought my top bar hive over, moved the top bars out of the way. I grabbed the lid off the box, and below that lid was a swarm of bees hanging off the lid in, inside an empty box. And I dumped them ceremoniously into the top bar hive, put the top bars back on real quick and move the box over to its new location underneath right. uh, an orange tree. Uh -huh. So that was the easy part. Uh -huh. The harder part was, uh, you know, I'm starting to go to the, the bee club, the Phoenix Bee Club classes, and I'm hearing everybody has to re-queen every year in oh, the wow. Phoenix area because right. of the Africanized bean, right. queen, queen bee. Uh -huh. And I said to myself, oh my goodness, really? Really? I've got I to gotta open up the box. I've got to find the one bee out of thousands. <laughs> right. Right? I have to kill her and put in a new queen every year. Uh-huh. Uh, I... I emotionally was able to do that twice. Oh wow! I could no longer do that, uh -huh. and out of and then I so I left it for a year, and that's when the 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 bee box started to become a little more agitated mm, with mm -hmm. me, and so I started to notice a change in temperament, and so I'm learning here, after being stung a few times, right, that. It may not be the best thing to have uh, a top a, a hive of bees in a small urban lot, right? With me and other people wandering around, and so I just said, "Okay, well, it's time. I've learned, I've learned a lot from the experience of having the bees, right? But the mistake was that I." that I really realized that it wasn't the thing that I could do because of having to kill the queen mm. and having them, you know, dive bomb me as I'm walking around right. trying to mix my compost pile. You know, yeah. you know, I had to put my bee suit on. To, to, do, to do your compost pile? To do my compost pile, yes. Oh, wow. Yes, it, it got to be that, that uh, difficult after a while. Yeah. So I relocated them. Perfect. So I, yeah. I just have a couple of questions about this story. Um, yeah. You mentioned two terms that our listeners may not know about, Langstrom and Top Bar. What are those? 
Okay, the Langstroth box is the typical box that's a vertical stacking box system. It's used all the way, all across the world as the, the commercial type of beehive boxes, which got you, it. you know, they've got the 10-inch the on the bottom, that's the brood, and then they've got a, an 8-inch, and then a, some 4s or whatever, they're called supers, whatever you want to call them. Right. So they're different boxes of different sizes, and you basically harvest the honey from the top got box. And, but you have to have you know, mechanical or electric spinners, and you have to have this tool and that tool, and it can become very expensive. Mm -hmm. So the Peace Corps, you know, back in the 60s, came up with the top bar design, which is basically a U-shaped box container with two-by-two two bars suspended across the the open space on on the top of the U. Uh -huh. Now in Africa that might be a hollowed out log, it might be a plastic drum in another com country. Got it, it could be any kind of open container. The key is the top bars. Now bees have what Langstroth discovered as the bee space. So uh, around every comb is one bee width between oh, the, the comb and right. the outside of the box. Uh -huh. Or the spaces between the combs is only big enough for one bee to go through. And so the top bar hive system uh, has that one, one bee space as part of the science of the art and science of having bees. Uh, right? Yeah. So the art is, you know, becoming becoming aware and intuitive about what's ha going on inside the box, tuning into what the, the colony it. is going through. Nice. And so what intrigued me about the, the top bar hive was it was more based on the natural way that honeybees would oh, be in nature yeah. rather than being forced into the commercial Langstroth box, mm -hmm. which has pre-made, pre-designed, prefabricated combs that hang from the the top of the box. Yeah. Whereas the top bar hive does not. Doesn't it's do that. completely natural. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, so yeah. So what drives you? What's your big why around <laughs> all of this? I know, I figured you'd get a kick out of that question. Uh, I'm so interested about everything that has to do with nature and the phenomenon that that drives nature. Uh -huh. What drives nature drives me because, you know, I find out about something and I say, okay, well, how can I include that? How can I incorporate that uh -huh. on my home site? Can I, can I do that? You know, how can I, how can I adapt that for an urban situation? Mm -hmm. That's what drives me. The the constant create creative mind process. Right. So, and, and that and many permaculturists are like me. They say uh -huh. the problem is the solution. solution. Yeah, and that that drives the creative process. And you know, it's it's one of my favorites too. Yeah, perfect. So I'm all about education, and I have to know what book has been most influential for you in this process. Well, I did mention the book. It was the first book 
that I picked up that that was about permaculture, although it was a novel. So it was a uh, non it was a fiction novel put together by yes. Starhawk. Starhawk, yes. Which is one of the preeminent teachers in this country. For permaculture. She, for, with permaculture. Yeah. But but she has a, a very spiritual angle to her way of of teaching and living uh-huh. permaculture. Mm-hmm. So her book, Fifth Sacred Thing. Oh yes. How how she come by that uh, title, I'll never know. But mm-hmm. anyway, it was about a futuristic world in the United States and about how the corporations had taken over and the police state was you know, really uncomfortable and you know people were you know being forced into very uncomfortable situations but a breakout group started to set up a permaculture eco village ah. up near the San Francisco area and so it was all about you know how to how to redesign your entire life in a community setting and it was very intriguing to me. And as a side note, it, it had a lot about bees in it as well. Oh, interesting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So Perfect. Th- that was one of the books, yeah. yeah. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? <laughs> Just do it, right? <laughs> yeah, I know it's kind of cliche, and I say it all the time, but really that's it, isn't it? Mm. Absolutely. Start somewhere. You know, one of the principles of permaculture is start small yep. and then observe yeah. and then adapt. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm saying to you. Start small, whatever you can handle. You know, observe. Make sure you're out there at different times of day mm-hmm. and things like that. Maybe you can get other people to come in and observe with you and then adapt what you've created until it works. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Don. It's been a treat getting to catch up with you and chat about your experiences with permaculture. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're welcome. And I really appreciate this opportunity. And, you know, I'm hoping, uh, you know, the people that listen to this, you know, will get inspired as deeply as I am and you yeah. are. Cool. So how can our listeners get a hold of you, please? Well... If you're on Facebook, then you can um, find me at B Oasis. And uh, if you're not, then uh, you can always uh, look me up on my webpage. That's www, or as we say in England, triple dub, <laughs> dot, the number four, and then the letters D-I-R-S. So that's short for four directions, four dirs, uh-huh. dot com. And you'll find my website. Perfect. Perfect, perfect. Well, thanks again so much for being on the show. And that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, 
hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit denalicanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's denalicanning.com forward slash free.